Hello, cinefans. I'm Kendall Coover, and this is Watching Classic Movies. My guest, Paula Guthit, is the co-founder of Cinema Detroit Movie Theater and the popular TCM Party hashtag. She came to me with a dilemma. How do you react when you learn that one of your cinematic faves has done something horrific? The answer is personal, often not definitive, and complicated, especially when you are a film programmer, as Paula is. We talked about the issue as it relates to our past, present, and future. Welcome, Paula. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Kendall. I'm really happy to be here. Now, as the co-founder of Cinema Detroit, you have had quite a time, but I hear that you're back in the theater. You've got audiences coming back. How does that feel? It feels really good. Yeah. It feels really good. It's very strange to not do your thing for this probably 14 months, 14, 15, 16 months, something like that. Because we we closed March 16th of 2020 and we reopened like for real, for real on July 2nd of 2021. I mean, it was it was tough. It was tough. We had some, you know, private rentals for like birthday parties and things like that. And we did some online things with virtual cinema. I launched um, our own streaming platform, Cinema Detroit Marquee. And that was all very valuable. And I learned a lot, but it's just not the same as seeing a movie in person. I think we can all agree, you know, to be really well received, people are coming in and saying, you know, we're so glad you're back. Thank you for being here. Um, so that's very gratifying. Definitely. We've been able to show some like quality films from, you know, like Summer of Soul and now we've got French Dispatch. So it's, it's been good. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed having the option of using your online service. I know you're kind of working through different for options for that for the future, mm -hmm. but I've enjoyed that because it's curated. So I find Thank it you. easier to find a selection. Yeah. Yeah. I work really hard. I, I mean, we had access to quite a few libraries and um, I tried to pick things that sort of reflected what I'm doing in my programming anyway. And then also some interesting double features that I can't always do. So remakes that were interesting just to compare like fun with Dick and Jane, the original fun with Dick and Jane, the remake and see how society has changed or in some cases not changed. So I'm, I was really trying to do some interesting things there and, and I'm glad that people found it useful. So thank you very much. Yeah, it's nice to spend five minutes looking for a movie to watch instead of 20. Instead of an which, hour. Yeah. Which is a reality. We're, we're really reality. trying to, yeah. <laughs> we're really trying to have it be seen as films with inherent value as opposed to a bunch of content. You did mention something that's what we will be talking about today, the idea of how things have changed and how they haven't. And what that is, is in essence, problematic faves. Um, yes, directors, actors, you know, producers, you name it, who you really love their work, but they've done some hideous things. Yes. So, yeah. so tell me, tell me about your take on this. My take on this is that it's really difficult for me personally, and I imagine for other people too, because some of the problematic behavior was done by people who you didn't know they did it and you came to them not knowing and they're sort of the foundation of my classic movie habit yeah fixation obsession I think I told you about my experience seeing Errol Flynn in the adventures of Robin Hood and I was 11 years old fell in love with the guy 
he's dead. Who knows? Like, who cares? Whatever. He was alive on the screen and I was in love with the guy. And then it turns out that in his life, he did some pretty sketchy stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But his films are some of the best times you can have watching a classic movie. And I think he was underrated as an actor, as often happens when you have someone that has looks like that. And yeah, so finding out around the turn of the century, all of the stuff that went down. Um, I still watch Errol Flynn movies. Do I feel weird about it? Definitely. Mm-hmm. And that's just one example. As I started to get into silent films, I'm a latecomer to that area of knowledge. I got, um, when I was a more than every so often blogger, I got um, you know a review copy of a Chaplin biography. And a friend of mine told me, don't read it. Really? You don't want to know. It was that bad. Yeah, it was. And um, he's like, yeah, you don't, you don't want to know. You just don't want to know. And he was right. I don't want to know that he like kidnapped a teenage girl. <laughs> like, yeah. And, you know, and that's just one example. I mean, he was not what you would call exemplary. Right. And then, you know, don't come at me, chaplain people. It, <laughs> I don't want to get in trouble, but. I kind of do like I don't really care because the stuff happened right and so yeah. it's this reckoning of like I have this knowledge now how does it affect me yeah and do I how do I support or not support and as a programmer I do my own booking at the theater um, I use a booker to get larger films but for indies classics everything else I'm my own thing I don't and then that's a direct opposite of how a chain works multiplexes are booked en masse by some other company states away and they all just play what they're told yeah so I've not booked a Woody Allen film since Blue Jasmine I won't I just won't do it Uh, I, I do think that's interesting because just as a reviewer when I had access to a screening of one of his films I did decide not to go and then I found at the opening night that several filmmakers all of them women had decided also not to attend because they just felt uncomfortable with that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this brought me back to something I believe it was Farron also known as a self-styled siren it was so long Mm -hmm. ago but she Mm -hmm. said something on Twitter about well it's a lot easier when they're dead which sounds crass Yes. No, I mean, she's talking about Hitchcock, you know, like about mm -hmm. about things he'd said and done. It was easier for her to say, of course, I don't approve, but I can stomach his work. But with Alan still out there, it does hit differently. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, because they're continuing, they're continuing to do their awful things. Yeah. Which it brings in sort of the myth of cancel culture. Yeah. This is a, a myth that you know if you do these horrible things you'll be quote-unquote canceled you won't work I'm trying to think of somebody who has actually been actually canceled like not gotten any work ever again yeah I can't I mean they go away and they come back I looked at up a few examples that I thought that they hadn't worked and they had I really came up with nothing Mm-hmm. It's hard because there's no apology, really. No sincere right. apology. There's no changing. There's no growth. This is what's so upsetting about it. Yes. And you know that what with Natalie Wood's sister writing about Kirk Douglas mm-hmm. and how 
that there'd long been the rumor that mm-hmm. he told her and she's claiming that to be true. And, you know, he is gone. And I he think- here part- for a good part of our lives. Yes. But there was just things in reading about his life that I, he was somebody who always kind of turned me off anyway, that I always felt like something was wrong there. Like he was maybe not even super right with himself and, and mm. it, 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 mm. to hear something like that, I'm inclined to, to believe this story. Mm-hmm. I don't know for sure, but there's something there that really yeah. Be wrong. Yeah. Something and, and, happened. Yeah. At the hotel. And the yeah. other thing that, that hits me bad is Lex Barker, who is Tarzan, a Tarzan. I'm a bit less familiar with this one. I guess recap. So this I learned in um can't remember her last name. Lana Turner's daughter, Cheryl, wrote Okay. Mm-hmm. And when 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 Lana Turner was married to Lex Barker, he would assault Cheryl. Oh. And it was it was terrible. A, it was a brutal telling. Yeah. And I can't even stand the sight of him now because yeah no yeah yeah so now you can't go around with a little measuring tape about how bad things are you know it's all Mm -hmm. different things that are personal but 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 like Errol Flynn there's a lot of really inappropriate things that he did yes but there's also levels of maliciousness that's true too and it's not a logical thing it's no right and it's personal and you know Mm-hmm. it's about it's a gonna, person background and all mm-hmm. that yeah and it's gonna vary from person to person what you personally can tolerate like um I met Errol Flynn's daughter at the TCM film festival a few years back could not have been nicer sweetest lady posed for pictures presented about her father her um son was there he was really nice like she seemed normal well-adjusted even clear-eyed about her father, not a, she didn't talk about, you know, the sketchy stuff yeah, yeah. he did, but about how he was a great dad and gave her this feeling of being loved and, you know, wanting to do anything to make his kids happy. Yeah. And I was like, okay, wow. All right. So you know, yet a third side, maybe even of this guy, right? Mm-hmm. There's the the film persona, the, you know, pervert, and then there's the great dad, like. It's complicated. It is. It's, I guess that's why I wanted to talk about it. It is so complicated. And it is personal. And I mean, I think that the fact of somebody who's passed on the way it's less complicated is they're not, you know, they're not going to be able to do. Right. They're not doing, they're not victimizing anybody yeah. else anymore. Yeah. Like they, they can't hurt anyone anymore. Yeah. There's no consequences be had anymore. Yeah. And, 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 and I mean, to, to go back, um, you're saying that there is no cancel culture for one, the concept of canceling is I find really unhelpful and just essentially yeah. a way to keep systems in place as they are, because yes. of course you need to pay the consequences no matter mm-hmm. who you are. And I think cancel culture is a way to, to push off that responsibility I don't it has really nothing yes. to do with anything else mm-hmm. and uh and so that that's how I feel about the ones around now but the ones mm-hmm. in the past 
there's always going to be people who love them and there's always going to be people who can't stand them. It's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just feel like it's, it's got to be a place where we can't judge because, because yeah. no further harm can be done. So, right. so personally it's that way. Now as a programmer, I can see how it's challenging for you, like how you might need to take the it is. a little bit. Yeah. And I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel weird about it. Like if I'm not gonna, nothing could induce me to program a Woody Allen film. Like if people came to me and were like, we're never coming to your theater again. If you don't book this Woody Allen film, I would be like, okay, yeah, that's your choice. Right. Like I can, that to me is like really cut and dried. Now there's like some other ones where there's like sort of like rumors and things like that of of behavior that is not good and that is really a gray area because then you're like is it true is it not true like in some cases really worthy projects yeah it is it can be a quandary like it it really can and it sort of goes with are you going to show films that have sexual violence in them yeah personally I don't like to do that I think there's enough of that going on like I think it's a cop-out a lot of times it's used for shock plot device when something else could have done just as well I think it's lazy at this point so I look at that very carefully yeah but if it's in a film that's directed by a woman you know there are films where women are telling their stories and it includes that Mm -hmm. you know then what do you do well there's also just different perspectives on that kind of a film Mm -hmm. I've I found it really educational to read there's a horror writer bj colangio i believe is her name and she is a survivor and a lot of that kind of movie is cathartic to her and helps her to to process her stress over that wow i think i had it in my mind why are we doing this until i started reading perspectives like that Mm -hmm. and it's led me to the conclusion that the way to process a lot of this is to just simply know different perspectives. Mm -hmm. You know, I've seen that there's also a racial element to this. Of course. Mm -hmm. Now, is it Nat or Nate Parker, the director of Birth of a Nation? Nate Parker. Yes. That was an interesting, uh, that was an interesting episode in my career. Yeah. Uh, As I had booked that before that came out, I actually booked it right when I mean Searchlight paid some insane amount of money for it and um it was on paper the concept was awesome right and then all of that came out and what I ended up doing was bringing in a toxic masculinity consultant to do some discussions so that it didn't go undiscussed that there was context provided yeah I think that's an important way to process it Mm -hmm. yeah and we actually brought in some kids from all boys schools and let this guy work on them (laughs) for lack of a better term (laughs) there is much in popular culture that is not progressive that is based in stereotypes and that is prolonging this the toxic masculinity and it's no, like, obviously can't be undone in an hour and a half, but I felt good about these kids, mostly black and brown, having a black man address these topics. 
mm-hmm. to them. So around, so I know that this issue that must be dealt with, there is the fact yes. that this filmmaker, yeah, this, who was clearly promising, disappeared a lot faster. It's, it's mm-hmm. hard not to believe that there, there yeah, was, that there was a racial factor. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. But, um, but, but he, he, he just sunk and I believe he's got yes. a film coming out now, but it's not, mm-hmm. didn't just this is years back. later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As opposed to a few months later. Yeah. So yeah, dipping back on classics, because we know that we have to deal with somebody who's alive. We have to face it. We have to mm-hmm. decide where we stand. We have yeah. to decide like, is can we have growth you know and progress here mm-hmm. and move on yeah. you know or or is or is this just we can't stomach it what do we right. do about the classics because it's not you know it goes into films too of course but what about these people because it's it's so much more complicated when they can't do anything else mm-hmm. so say like a, a film festival you know doing a Kirk Douglas film when there's this unproven but absolutely heavy plausible plausible yeah yeah allegation because I felt you know uncomfortable having that book to review with his letters from his wife because there was a lot of bad behavior in that book which would jive with you know that kind of Mm -hmm. and you know you don't know but you just feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and I, I questioned whether I wanted to review it I did and I I think I commented on how it felt, how I felt a little bit, mm-hmm. but, but, mm-hmm. but it's so hard when you don't know. Yeah. So and we'll never know. No, it's just, it's just a, a feeling that you just know. Yeah. But you can't prove it. And then there's things that you do know, like Alfred Hitchcock, you know, <laughs> yes, he, he never, he never laid hands on anybody, but there's, there's, there were things. He's abusive. Yeah. He, Emotionally, psychologically abusive. and. It could be argued that he kind of emotionally abuses the audience. Like that tendency is, it's there. Like he kind of tortures us a little bit, you know? Like we're yeah. made implicit in all this stuff that's going down, right? Because he always kind of draws us into this. You know, when Jimmy Stewart's spying on his neighbors, we're right there with him, you know? Like he makes us into the voyeurs. So I think he, that's so much a part of his makeup I really think that, wow, he's really, you know, it's so suspenseful. He's really putting us through it, right? Yeah. Um, a, a director, a creator, as opposed to an actor, you're going to mm-hmm. have a different thing too. Like an actor might just be playing a role and you won't see that side of them, but a director quite often, if they have power, they're going to put that personal imprint on it and you will feel some of those things yep. in the work. Yep, totally. And I think that Rear Window is a really interesting example because while in the story he is the Cornell Woolrich story it, it is voyeurism but mm-hmm. it comes it takes on a different dimension the way he expands the people mm-hmm. that are being watched and the kind of people that are being watched and the way in which he's watching like Miss mm-hmm. Corso it's kind of yeah. her, you know how he's objectifying yeah yeah that is a really interesting point though about the creator about about those impulses showing up in the art. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that's gonna make me stop watching Alfred Hitchcock, but uh, yeah, I am very aware of those impulses and you're right, they do show up in the work and 
I mean, that's what it comes down to with him. I'm trying to think of another director where I feel it so acutely in the work. Cause I mean, any, you know, story about a director or an actress yeah. is, is going to show the, you know, they're smacking him on the butt and all these other things that that mm-hmm. was just how it was. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about that, it's like, well, it's almost like it's excellent if they didn't do something like that, but. Right. And it, it's, this is what also complicates this whole sort of problematic faves thing is if we are participating, you know, in culture that is promoting this sort of status quo, are things ever going to change? You know, because art dictates culture. Mm-hmm. Culture dictates art. So, I mean, what I've tried to do in my programming is maybe not perfect. What I try to do is yes and. Yeah. Yes, we are going to show Wes Anderson and we're going to show, you know, the latest, say, James Bond movie. I've never shown a James Bond movie, but I came pretty close. <laughs> and we are going to show films by women, women of color. Black and brown people, LGBTQ people, people with disabilities. I'm going to try to bring in all these other voices in the hope that in some small way, teeny tiny, that this will change things, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, you're programming the, the things you promote. It's sort of like the company you keep. It's the same idea. Like, Yeah, I sort, of, I sort of do feel that way. I've never thought of it in that way, but that's a really perceptive and I I think it is true I mean I I will look at a film today and if I see a trans character who's just trans or or if I see a brown girl in the lead it's not quite the novelty that it used to be and I think that that has changed things it's very hard in such a volatile time to believe that yeah And and I there's so much more that needs to change but I do think I mean, you're making a good point because what you're saying is we don't have to discard things so much as we need to add in things that give us a bigger picture. And in that bigger picture, we have more empathy and understanding and it kind of balances out those toxic feelings. Yeah. And I just feel like the more we open up culture of all kinds to other voices, the chances of these things happening decreases. The more that happens. I think though that the patriarchy is very strong. Yeah. It's gonna take a lot to undo it. I think it makes people feel those structures so old. Yeah. People have the feeling that they've worked somewhere in their guts. And so it makes them feel unsafe to have it challenged. And I mean, just given the response to TCM's um series yeah. where where they looked back on on problematic faves. It really made people mad because they felt like they were being told they were bad people. I saw that more than once. And just the idea of wokeism or any other words you're going to use to say, I feel uncomfortable with this examination. It makes me feel bad. Mm-hmm. I think that the more we realize we're just learning and that it's yeah. not, a, you know, it, it's, it's mm-hmm. not about your feelings. It's about yeah. our world. It's right. about the way that our world has been and the way mm-hmm. our world is. And we will all benefit from understanding those different perspectives, from examining a thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it hurts. It feels bad. You know, I, I, I look back on some things that I've done, you know, as a white lady and I cringe at the sensitivity. Yeah, for sure. 
And I know that the only realistic way to look at it is I'm always aspiring to do better. And I've grown it's up. It's a process. Sure. I've grown right. up. It is a process. I tell my kids this all the time. It is a process. Yep. And you can't be unracist overnight. No. Came from a racist society. Yeah. We have to forge forward and not have it be about like your feelings or, 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 yeah. or anything small because it's big. It's right. big and our world is big. And I think that we become bigger people by acknowledging all these different perspectives. I got to say, it's as hard as it has been to see people kind of come out and, and, and be a little nastier and, and, and how social media has, has brought some really toxic things into our world. I have learned a lot about our world through those things too. I've had different perspectives and things coming at me in real life that I understand better because of people talking, say on Twitter, following somebody who is different from me. Yes. Who like, maybe they wrote a great movie review, but they're so different from me in a lot of ways mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm like, you know, yes, you dig in a native Twitter, you know, you, you, you uh-huh. people with various disabilities, different races, and suddenly you've got this beautiful tapestry and you want them all to be well. <laughs> right. No, I agree completely. And then it makes me really upset when somebody comes along and is like, well, that they aren't valid. They don't count. This society is, you know, a white male society and anything that challenges that I'm going to be negative about and, and, you know, issue death threats or whatever, you know, it make that makes me really upset because it's un-American. I mean, it really technically is. To me, it is un-American. I think things like Ancestry.com, people kind of scoff at it and it's not real science and blah, blah, blah. But it's like for people to see that, oh, gee, um, you know, my family hasn't been here that long, like a couple generations, maybe yeah. like on one side of my family and then on the other side, like a long time. But still, I am not a Native American. Yeah. But people are just taking it in a different way, too, of like the probably the superiority of their ethnicity or whatever. Who knows? You know, people always take stuff in weird ways. But to me, it's like it's showing that everybody hears from somewhere else except. Yeah indigenous people you know what I mean so it, and it's almost literally everybody almost literally yeah you know? yeah <laughs> just about everybody so that makes me like look at these films and these people uh-huh in a different way because I think they're wow what it really we're talking about is that behavior supports a structure that doesn't help all right so if you yeah. instead of looking away deal with it talk right. about it Yep. You can say, you have the space to say, I can appreciate this art. And I'm looking mm-hmm. at this art with my eyes wide open. You know, I mm-hmm. understand it. And, and, and of course, you know, there's, and as a programmer, I suppose that's the way to go, which is what you've been doing is, yeah, is being really trying to, yeah. yeah, to go back to that, the pandemic. Do you yes. think this has made people reflect anymore on this kind of a thing? Do you think that having that space I think so. Yeah, I think, I mean, you can kind of see to people's relationship to work has changed. They're not willing to be in work that honestly is abusive. You know, the way, you know, fast food outlets, the workers there are leaving or they're going on strike or they're just leaving in the middle of their shift. I was reading the Washington Post. This happened at a couple places. And I think life became more precious and people don't want to waste it. How do you think that would affect the view of 
the arts? I mean, do you think that has any effect at all in what, how people are going to consume things? I mean, maybe we don't know yet, actually. Yeah, I think we're in the middle of sort of reckoning with that because at the same time, there's this like explosion of streaming. Like, I mean, the theatrical window is basically gone, which eventually was going to happen, but the pandemic sped it up by, I believe, a couple of years. And I don't know how it's going to, how it's going to affect it. Yeah, I think the jury is out on that one. But I think, I think people just are like, you know what, life's too short. I'm not going to get harassed, abused, underpaid. Like, I, I don't think people are lazy and I don't think it has anything to do with unemployment checks. No, I think people were just like, I could die doing this. And guess what? You're not paying me enough yeah. and I'm being abused. And so I think, I think it's just a recognition of like, I don't want to spend my time doing this anymore. People found their limits. Mm-hmm. I just feel like that's a very visual public way that people are finding the limits and it's, it's bound to extend to other things. Yeah. Stuff that's going on, people getting shot mm-hmm. to make a movie. Is it worth dying for? Yeah. In my book, no. Um, obviously, like I think things are, it just caused so much change in such a short time. Racial reckoning mm-hmm. needed to happen in such a huge way. And that was, that's welcome that that sped up to the point where, you know, I just think we're in this moment where the world has changed a lot, not just because of the pandemic, but also because of Me Too, Black Lives Matter, all of these types of reckonings where we don't really know where we are. Like things are changing so fast. I think that's the best way to put it. I mean, we, we don't know where we are and, and um, since we can't tell the future, one way to, to figure it out and you know, things like this, there's not an answer. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I would never seek an answer. I'd... Yeah. We, there's not an answer, but, but there's a way you decide what you can live with, you know, mm-hmm. you decide what's acceptable and, and in, and in figuring that out, you know, you learn how to move forward. Paula, I appreciate you having this conversation with me. There was a lot of aha moments. I think it's so tricky and uncomfortable to talk about this kind of thing, but we really must because that's how, you know, it's not just how we exist now, it's how we move forward. You know, having a background on, on what has been helps that a lot. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, there were many aha moments for me as well. And I was so happy to talk about this with you. And thank you for having me on. For show notes, including information about streaming films via Cinema Detroit, go to watchingclassicmovies.com. There you can also find ways to support the show. Please consider giving Watching Classic Movies a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Thank you for listening. This is Kendall Krufer, Watching Classic Movies. Until next time.